Hello everybody, good to see you. Well, you can see me, but I can't see you, but I know you're out there, so thanks for welcoming me here to Crossroads Grace as uh, my good friend Brian, who, man, shows you can get a really, really good introduction for only like five bucks. Gotta love it. Brian is a dear friend to me, and as he said, uh, I'm kind of a Southern boy. I grew up in East Tennessee, spent most of my adult life in Chicago, but about five years ago, I moved to Knoxville, Tennessee. It's one of those places where a lot of people haven't been, because like everybody's been to Nashville, right? But everybody hasn't been to Knoxville. I was speaking, I was preaching up at a church in uh, Chicagoland last weekend, and one of the guys said, uh, you're from Knoxville? I said, yeah. And he says, uh, never been there. I've been to Nashville. I said, yeah, Nashville's really nice. He goes, so is like Knoxville the place where people go when they can't live in Nashville? And I said, sure. I mean, Knoxville is like Nashville's backwash, whatever. But it's, uh, I'm from Knoxville. I love Knoxville. And uh, I am wearing shoes, as us hillbillies often do not do, at least in the stereotype. As we talk about singleness today, I really hope that what Brian said will uh, become evident in our in our. Uh, shared experience here today. I, I hope that you go, yeah, this guy has been some places. And so maybe, maybe God can say something through him. Um, in my adult life, I've been married for a total of 18 years and I've been single for 18 years. How about that? So I'm coming from both sides of this. I am single. I have two sons. One's 26, one's 29. One of them's married, one of them's single. Catch the symmetry here. And my parents, God bless them, my parents are 89 and 87. And they have been married for 64 years just last month. So, uh, and they are still truly best friends and have modeled uh, wonderful things for me and, and my family throughout their lives. So hopefully it's coming through and, and that'll help us today with what we're doing. So let's start here. What I want to do is I want to show you a bunch of different TV sitcoms. And then you figure out what it is that they have in common. Okay, here we go. We're going to go through this pretty fast. Here's the first one. Seinfeld. Seinfeld fans in the house. How many? Kind of an oldie, but a goodie. Very, very binge worthy. Seinfeld. Next one. How about this? Friends. I'll be there for you. What a great song. It's any Friends fans. I was not a big, uh, big fan of Friends. Um, when it came out originally, but during this, this whole COVID thing, man, I have binged friends like almost nothing else except for one other that I'll tell you a bit later. So next one, how about How I Met Your Mother? Now my son who's 29, he's Andrew. He lives in Waco, Texas. He's been married for three years. This is his favorite show of all time. Okay, so anybody with my son Andrew and this being your fave? Okay, and you're allowed to go like woohoo or whatever you want to do wherever you're joining us from. And then there's this one. The Big Bang Theory, I was never much into this, but I got to tell you, as I've watched it more and more during COVID, sensing the theme here, as I've watched this more and more, that Sheldon dude, that's a funny guy right there. That is, I don't care who you are, that's a funny guy right there. And uh, here's one more. How about New Girl? I think it's really good. Really, really interesting. Really, really kind of fun. So here's the question. What do all of those sitcoms have in common? Because there's two things. What do they have in common? 
Well, the first thing is fairly obvious. They were all smash hits. Big time, great, top of the charts, ratings, Nielsen ratings, all that stuff. And we are binging them like crazy because they are so good. But think about this. One other thing they all have in common. All the main characters are single. You ever think about that? In fact, my favorite show of all time, this is the last one. I saved the best for last. This is my favorite of all time. Ah, uh, The Office. I love this show so much. I, uh, I watch some of it every night while I'm trying to fall asleep. I struggle with a lot of insomnia, but I watch this show every night as I'm trying to fall asleep. I just turn, I turn down the picture so it's not bright there and just have the sound on soft. And I know what they're going to say next, so it helps me go to sleep. I've even got me a Dunder Mifflin paper company mask. So I'm all about The Office. But think about this. The main characters in the office for the vast majority of the show are all single. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, but Pam and Jim, it's such a great love story. I'll oh, be still my heart. It's so wonderful. And they, and they get married. But think about this. One, two, three, four, five, nine uh, series, nine seasons of The Office. And Pam and Jim don't get married till about a third of the way through season six. Hmm. So there's all this humor, all this intrigue, all this storyline about single folks. And uh, I think that kind of highlights how important it is to talk about this today. And when it comes to singleness, I'm going to go through this pretty quick, but this stuff's super important. This message is not just for single folks. If you're with us, you're joining us and you're married, this is for you too. I hope I can make good on that promise. I, th I think I will. But here's what we're going to start with. We're going to start with these different views of singleness. And, and here's where, you know, some involvement, at least in the privacy of your own heart and mind, is which of these views of singleness, whether you're single or married, would you say, oh, yeah, that's, that's how I think of singleness. For instance, some people have kind of a, a, a positive view of singleness, and they think of it this way. They think of singleness as freedom. Now, we won't do the Braveheart thing there because that's a different kind of freedom. But there's a, a survey on Pinterest that said, what's the best thing about being, about being single? And one of the top answers was freedom, autonomy. And uh, it said, you can go wherever you want and do whatever you want in your pajamas if you want. You can even go out in your pajamas if you want because there's nobody else to say, oh, you shouldn't go out like that. So freedom and uh, this guy here, he kind of shows us that there is a direct statistical correlation between men who go out in their pajamas and bathrobe and, and who stay single for a long, long time. So there's that freedom view. There's another view of, of, uh, of singleness that would be called challenge accepted. Barney Stinson, little reference there from How I Met Your Mother. That's for my son. Uh, challenge accepted. We see that dealing with singleness is like this, this challenge that we've got to overcome. And so we work and we work and we, and we get, we try this dating site or that dating site and we ask people who they can fix us up with or whatever it is, but we work, work, work really hard and we can put a lot of time into it. I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's a single mom and she's a, a very successful partner in a law firm in Chicago. And, and she says, I'm single because I don't have time to find somebody. Between my law practice and my, and my 12-year-old son, I just, don't, I just don't have time. I know what some of y'all are thinking. How much time does it take to just swipe right? Wait, did I say that out loud? <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying. This is, a, this is a lot. It can be just completely exhausting. 
when it's a challenge to be overcome, when we do whatever we can to get in a relationship or to stay in a relationship and to help a relationship have at least the possibility of, of leading to somebody that we can be with for the rest of our lives. And so we take it, you know, challenge accepted. Here's another view of singleness. Again, which one resonates for you? Single folks, married folks, stick with me. All right, how about this one? For some folks, singleness is like a clock and it's ticking. And sure, it might have something to do with the proverbial biological clock, and, but it might not be that clock. It might be a clock that you feel like your parents had for you. Like your parents had this time frame that if you weren't married by this certain time or if you weren't remarried after a divorce that you went through, if you aren't remarried at this certain time, that, that like that's not cool and, and you're not okay. And it's like the clock is the clock is ticking. Or maybe for a lot of us, I've heard a lot of people say this, a lot of my clients, I'm a, a therapist, counselor, do a lot of clinical work, talk to a whole lot of folks. It's a man, fantastic to be able just to talk to people what's really going on in their lives. I hear so many single folks say, yeah, all, all my friends from college are married and have kids now. And I'm not even in a significant relationship. I'm not even in a committed relationship. And I feel like, man, time's just passed me by. The clock is ticking. For other folks, um, it's just the whole, um, let's just call it a fear clock, the fear of being alone. I'm, I'm 57, and uh, that's one of my fears, that not too long from now, I'm going to have time to travel and do stuff on my bucket list, but I'm afraid I won't have anybody to do it with. And for me, oftentimes, I hear that clock, tick, 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 tick tock, Tim, tick tock. For others, uh, I haven't ever met a single person that I talked with about this who didn't say they related to us, uh, to this. For others of us, uh, singleness is like this. Just this, this burden. Man, it's, it, it's heavy and it takes so much work and we're having to carry this big burden by ourselves. And man, if we could just find somebody where we can lay this burden down and then we can carry each other's burdens together. I mean, that's what we, that's what we long for. And sometimes it gets even, even heavier, no pun intended, than that. Sometimes we think of singleness as this place where we're just stuck. We're stuck, we're locked in, and the door out only opens from the other side, from the outside. And I know what some of y'all are thinking. You're going, dude, that's, that's like way bleak. You came all the way out here from Knoxville to, to like be a huge bummer. No, no, we're just keeping it real. I have never met a person who was single for, for let's just say longer than they wanted to be that didn't kind of feel something like that. I know I have. Is that just me? I don't think so. So yeah, it's, it's kind of it's dark, but I'm just saying. Then on top of it all is the whole COVIDness the whole COVID and singleness thing. Uh, here comes COVID and the challenges and struggles of, of singleness just get super amplified and mega intensified. Uh, one person's story that really struck me was actually from this church. It was, it was shared with me in writing. And this person said that, that she had dealt with her singleness by really just focusing primarily on her career, just pouring herself into her career. And then COVID comes along and she gets furloughed. She gets laid off and the pandemic costs her. She loses her job and she finds herself home alone. But we certainly don't mean in a Macaulay Culkin fun sort of way. 
Other single folks with younger kids at home are finding it both challenging and rewarding to be around their kids so much more, but it still makes them feel like, man, I just need to talk to another adult human. Now, the news isn't all bad about singleness and COVID. I saw one stand-up comedian who said, man, I hope the pandemic never ends. I get so many more dates wearing the mask. And then he went on to say, he said, this is his favorite pickup line. He says, uh, uh, he sees a girl he wants to go out with and he says, hey baby, um, if COVID doesn't take you out, can I? Oh, that's bad. I apologize for that right there. Anyways, but so many losses. Most of us aren't, aren't finding a whole lot of awesome things about singleness in COVID. And uh, for me, there hasn't been many wins in it. You know, like I said, I'm 57, live alone and uh, pretty lonely, pretty isolated over these last few weeks, excuse me, months. Feels like years. And I'm, I'm just saying, about last March, I started drinking way too much. Always been a social drinker, never had a drinking problem. Man, I started drinking so much. And the alcohol sales metrics, stats, whatever you want to call them, say that I'm not the only one. I heard today that one wine distributor in this area said that, that wine sales were up 300 to 400% uptick in sales. And so I'm probably not the only one who struggled with that. Now, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm very happy and grateful to say I'm coming up on 100 days sober and it's going really well. But there's something that God's helped me to do, not even social drinking anymore, just uh, Sober as I could possibly be, uh, totally abstinent. And that's something God's done for me. And he'll do it for you too. There's always hope. There's always hope, no matter how hopeless we feel. So that's kind of the background for this, all right? And we're not just here talking about stuff. I hope that you're here for the same reason that I'm here. I hope you're with us on this uh, online thing for the same reason that I'm, that I'm talking. I don't want to just talk, though I like to talk. I started my own 12-step movement. It's uh, for people who, who, who talk a lot. It's called On and On and On. That's bad. Anyways, so I like to talk, but I really want to say things where people can hear what God's saying. So if you want to hear from God, I hope you do. And I do too. Here's some things that I think God has to say to us, whether we're, whether we are single or married to both the single and the married folks. And I think there are some things God would say. And I think it starts with some of the things that God would say, you know, there's some stuff that, that we, that people tend to believe that just, just ain't so. For instance, like this, there's a, there's a myth out there that marriage equals happiness and fulfillment. That like you can't be happy and fulfilled unless you're married. And I think God would say through his Holy Spirit, he would say, Urgh. that's a technical biblical term. Urgh. And here, but you don't have to just listen to God on that. You can go, oh, that just sounds like spiritual stuff. No, let's look at it this way. There's a wonderful book, comes from a researcher here in the state of California. I think she's at Cal, uh, at Cal Riverside or Cal Irvine. Anyways, uh, I can't even pronounce her name. That's it right there. If you can pronounce it, help me out. But this is the data. What, what, does, what does good, solid, objective science say about what makes people happy? Where does happiness come from? And she's not a Christian researcher as far as I know. She's just saying, what does the data say? 
psychologically, um, culturally, sociologically. And here's what it says, is that for most of us, um, by and large, 50% of our, of our happiness has to do with stuff that we were, the hand we were dealt. Genetics, um, physiology, the families we were raised in, all that together, that produces, like, that's where 50% of our happiness comes from, is the hand that we were dealt. And she says that, that only 10%, check this out, only 10% of happiness comes from an, from an improvement um, or is lost from a non-improvement of circumstances. Only 10%. And think about this. Man, if you're anything like me, I have spent most of my life trying to say, you know, if I can only get that to happen, if I can only make that happen, or if I only can get that to stop happening, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be fulfilled. But the data just doesn't back it up. And that might sound like not good news, but it's actually really good news because anybody who's with us today, really super awesome at making your circumstances exactly what you want every time. And, and before you raise your hand, remember where liars go, okay? But the good news is this 40%, that, that it's habits of the mind and the heart and of, and of personal practices of what we do in our behaviors that we can improve our, our happiness by 40% and sometimes more. And yet we can't do that if we're always chasing this circumstance or chasing that circumstance. Is this making sense? Hope so, hope so. So God would say, hey, marriage is a circumstance. No matter how wonderful it is or how much of a struggle it is, no matter how significant of a life circumstance it is, it's still a circumstance. That's something outside of us that we don't have full control over, obviously. Like I said, I've been married. So that's what God would say. He would say, now, uh, happiness, fulfillment doesn't come from uh, being married. Here's another myth that we tend to buy into. It's never said out loud exactly this way, but I think in one way it, it kind of has been very loudly. Um, it's this one. We think that marriage is what completes, this is the completeness, that we're not a whole person unless we're part of a marriage, unless we are a husband or unless we are a wife. We are, we are somehow less than a, than, a, than a whole person. We are less than complete. And once again, God would say, just in so, just in so. And this idea that it's only with marriage that we can find ourselves complete and whole, I think I know where this comes from. I think I do. It comes from this guy right here. I don't know, guys, but that's a handsome man right there. That, he's, he's got some game. But everybody knows this, this, uh, this line from Jerry Maguire, even though it's an old film. Everybody knows that scene where Tom Cruise says to Renee Zellweger, say it with me out loud on three. One, two, three. You complete me. You complete me. Is there anybody who's never heard that? Man, this is deeply ingrained in our culture. And it's, and it's a curse. It's, a, it's something that's not good for us because we look for someone else to complete us. We look for another human being, a flawed, fallible, no matter how great they are, a flawed, fallible human being to complete us. And then when they don't, man, all you know what breaks loose. That's because there's this myth that says that marriage is about happiness and fulfillment. All right, one more myth here that we got to kind of kind of blow up here today that I believe this is what God would say to us, okay? 
there's a myth that the single person is therefore incomplete. Once again, Holy Spirit says, just isn't so. It uh, uh, makes me think of what a, a good friend of mine said, and I have her permission to share this. I'll just read the quote. She said, I tell people I'm 51 and never been married, and they look at me like I'm the most pitiful person on earth. But for me, singleness is not being a part of a whole waiting for completion. Singleness to me is the whole complete in its entirety that has not yet been shared. So she's growing in her singleness by thinking of, of wholeness that has not yet been shared with another person fully in marriage. Or here's, an, here's how it, that same thing shows up in another movie. Didn't quite do so well at the, at the box office as, uh, uh, as Jerry Maguire, but great movie. Anybody see the movie Cool Runnings? Anybody at all? It's a Disney film. It's a family film. But it's actually a true story of the very first Jamaican bobsled team in the Winter Olympics. True story. Actually, that's John Candy there. He plays the coach. Well, one of the actors is, is Dougie Doug. He's been on um, Law and Order and he's been on Justified and he was even in Touched by an Angel. So he's been in a lot of stuff. But there's this one scene in Cool Runnings where this team is telling their coach, Irv, played by John Candy, just how badly they want to win a, win a gold medal. And it's the most important thing in their world that they got to win a gold medal. They can't stand it if they, even the thought of losing. And I love what the coach says to him. Quote, a gold medal is a wonderful thing, but if you're not enough without one, you'll never be enough with one. It's a wonderful thing, but if you're not enough without one, you'll never be enough with one. And I think it, I think God would say to us that marriage, clearly God says marriage is a wonderful thing, but if you're not enough without one, you'll, I'll never be enough with one. That's a big part of my story. Big part of my story. So that's what God would say. Watch out for these myths. Watch out for these kind of, these false cultural narratives. That sounded pretty intellectual, didn't it? False cultural narratives. Anyways, that's what he would say. Don't buy into that. Don't buy into that. And then here's what he would say that he really wants us to buy into. I believe God would say this. He would say, as we've been talking about in this series, that winning is not about getting this to happen or making that happen or winning this award or racking up that many, uh, um, you know, trophies or uh, dollars in our recovery, uh, excuse me, in our uh, retirement accounts and uh, kind of got recovery on the mind. Can you tell? Anyways, no, that winning is about contentment. Oh, man, I love this stuff. Again, the Apostle Paul He's a single guy. And let's keep in mind, Jesus, single his whole life. Anybody want to say that he didn't live a fulfilling life? Hard life, yeah. Anybody want to say he was incomplete? No, he shows us the fullness of humanity in his singleness. And I love this from what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians. Oh, this, this is a picture that I like a lot, you know. Ah, does that kind of, I just love, I just like to vibe with that picture right there. Ah. But look what, uh, what Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians. He says, for I have learned to be content because winning equals contentment. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I have learned the secret of being content. Just pause right there for a second. Would you say you know the secret of being content? I don't know it as much as I want to know it, but I'm heading in that direction. I've learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, any circumstances, that stuff that we can't control. And then he says, for example, whether well-fed or hungry, whether what's going on with me physically and, and, and my food intake, whether there's plenty or not enough. And a lot of folks don't have enough with what's going on, right? Or whether living in plenty or in want. And that's about your wallet right there. Whether I got plenty of money, the Apostle Paul's saying, or whether I am flat broke and a lot of people finding themselves flat broke, staring down the, the kind of the barrel, so to speak, of possible bankruptcy, man. So a lot of us, and, and some people have, have thrived, you know, the alcohol distributors thriving during this, but a lot, of, a lot of us, not plenty, but want. And then he says, here it is. This is the secret of being content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, this is one of the most misunderstood verses in all the Bible. This is... Maybe the best all-time, most popular Christian refrigerator magnet verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it sort of sounds like God, um, like the Apostle Paul is saying, you know, I can leap tall buildings in a single bound. If I just have enough faith, I can do anything through Christ's strength. And though that is true, that is not what this text means. It's just, it's just not. Look at the context. Look at the context. He says that, that, that the secret to contentment is that he can deal, he can handle, he can manage, he can find wins regardless of the situation because he's got somebody strengthening him. See, this isn't about if you believe there's a God or if you believe in Jesus being who he proved himself to be or not. This is about do you have somebody in your life who isn't a flawed, fallible human being like all the rest of us. You can say, oh, I, I can make it through anything good or bad, up or down, plenty or want, through this one who strengthens me. Mm, that's, that's contentment. Then uh, uh, in, the next, in another passage from 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is talking about his thorn in the flesh. Nobody knows what his thorn in the flesh was. Some people say it was some physical impairment like maybe migraine headaches that he might have contracted from malaria, um, from contracting malaria as a missionary in some of the coastal regions of, of uh, Asia Minor and Palestine and, and Southern Europe. Uh, other people say that he was, uh, there's some indication that suggests that he had real problems with his eyesight and it really vexed him. Other people say, who knows? Who knows what it was? He doesn't say what his thorn in the flesh was, but what about this, okay? I'm not saying this is so, but if it were so, it's at least possible. What if the Apostle Paul is talking about the thorn in his flesh the thing that he just asks God, when he says three times, he doesn't mean like one, two, three. Okay, where's the miracle, God? No, that means that's completeness. That, that's, that's a number for wholeness, that three. He asked and asked and asked and asked for God to take it away from him. And maybe what he was asking God to take away from him was his singleness. Is that possible? It seems possible to me, but either way, look what it says. And what God said back to him, he said, God says, I'm not going to do exactly what you want right now. And it's okay because my strength is made perfect in weakness anyways. 
And then the Apostle Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Got to be a lot of folks uh, with us today. Uh, many of us are weakened. We're weakened by loneliness. We're weakened by uh, substance abuse. We're weakened by financial stress. We're weakened by worrying about our kids. We're weakened by a marriage that's struggling or the, the marriage is weakened because we're struggling. Okay, folks, weakness is never the ultimate problem. Contentment means that we can find strength from someone even in great weakness. So that's one of the things God would say. Here's another thing that I believe God would say. I think he would say for anybody who has ears to hear it, this includes the married people, but don't get me wrong on that. I think God would say singleness is a gift. And this is not just some nice way to think about it, some metaphor. This is straight out of Scripture. Look what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. I, I had a drug problem when I was a kid. My parents drug me to church on Sunday morning, drug me to Sunday school, drug me to church on Sunday night. Every time the doors open, my parents drug me to church. I've heard more sermons and, and, and Sunday school lessons and youth group things than anybody I've met so far, except maybe my dad, who's 89. And uh, I never, nobody ever taught me this verse. Nobody ever said, hey, singleness is a gift. Singleness is a gift. Because it says one has this gift and another has that. And you're going, that doesn't say that about singleness. So, you know, prove up on that, hillbilly preacher boy. So, okay, I will. This is that same text from Eugene Peterson's message translation. And this is, this is legit. This is a, he's right on target of what the text is talking about. He says, the Apostle Paul says, I wish everyone were single like I am. But celibacy is not for anyone any more than marriage is. God gifts, God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. And please don't hear what I'm not saying. This is not saying that if you're single, that is your fate, that is, you know, your history is your destiny, deal with it. This is, this is the gift that God's given you, okay? In fact, a lot of people go, man, if singleness is a gift, what's like God's return policy on that? You know, can I get a store credit or what? Anyways, but no, it's saying and singleness is a gift doesn't mean, oh, it's wonderful, it's fantastic. One of the best gifts I was ever given in my life, uh, about uh, five, six years ago when I was living in Chicago, about six years ago on a very cold winter's day on uh, I-355, my car caught on fire and burned down on the interstate. And I mean burned to the ground. Traffic was backed up for miles. There were fire trucks and all this stuff out there. And it, it was rush hour and it's like maybe minus 10 degrees or something, so it was really cold. And I felt so bad because not only was I not smart enough to keep my car from burning down, uh, it was a, a, a 2003 Toyota Camry that had over 10 million miles on it. Um, but I, I made everybody late to work that day. So I just put a, a little picture on Facebook that, that simply said, uh, sorry for keeping everybody's uh, uh, commute difficult today. My car burned down. Some dude I didn't even know saw that post and a guy showed up in my office and he handed me the keys to a, to a car, a new car, for free, for free. Now it wasn't new, it was used, but it was new to me and it wasn't on fire, so that was really cool. And that was a great car and it really, it, it helped me out so much financially and I'm so grateful for that dude's generosity. But it wasn't a perfect car. 
I mean, it didn't ride all that great. It was pretty expensive to repair. And it wasn't like really cool looking. It wasn't like something like, yeah, check me out. It's, but one of the greatest gifts I've ever been, I've ever received has something about it that I wanted to give back that I wish weren't so, but it was still the greatest gift I've ever received. Singleness is a gift. I just like this picture right here. Take a look at this picture. It's unwrapping that gift with God as the giver that God would say to us. And here's the last thing. I'm almost done. Here's the very last thing. I think God would say to single folks and to married folks alike, I think God would say that winning is contentment and contentment is all about pursuing wholeness. Pursuing wholeness. Now, if that sounds a little, a little weird, stick with me. Uh, cultural anthropologists and historians will tell you that virtually every culture in the history of, the, of our world has had some form of image in, the, in, the, uh, in its art of the labyrinth. See a labyrinth? Here's a picture of a labyrinth. And, you know, and, and, it, and it's this, like this maze and you walk here and, you, and, you, and you've got to find your way and you wind around. This is a, this is a Christian labyrinth with, with Christ at the center. And see, pursuing wholeness... Being somebody who walks that path of I'm seeking wholeness, I'm seeking to become the healthiest version of me I could possibly be. I'm, I am looking to God to put the broken pieces of my life back together so that the broken pieces can be, can be made whole. And so it looks like this. It's walking that labyrinth where I'm just walking because it's not like I get there, I'm cool, I'm whole, we're done. No, we're just walking that labyrinth. Walk in that labyrinth and at the center of this labyrinth in the maze of life as difficult as it can be and as confusing as it can be and frustrating and daunting and burdensome as it can be is this one who says, I'd rather die than live without you. So he did. And his love for us is so strong that not even death itself could hold him down. This is the one who is calling to us. This is, this is the, the, the very uh, cornerstone. Christ is the cornerstone of our wholeness because there's someone in the middle of, of this labyrinth of life going, come to me. No man has ever loved you. No woman could ever love you like I love you. Wholeness. I like the way Soren Kierkegaard said it. Look what he said. Danish philosopher, great churchman. I'm, I skipped that because I was running out of time. There you go. Soren Kierkegaard. That sounds really intellectual, doesn't it? Look what he says. He, he says this about the journey to wholeness. He says, and now with God's help, I will become who I am. I cannot know who I am unless I am in close personal relationship with the one who'd rather die than live without me. How about you? I like what Andy Stanley says to single folks. He's a pastor from Atlanta, one of the largest churches in America. And he says this to single folks. I think this is spot on. Become the person who the person you're looking for is looking for. That's the journey to wholeness in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, help us. Single folks right now, where, where, you, where you sit or wherever you are, just call out to him and say, strengthen me in these hard times. Married folks, 
reach out to him and say, strengthen me in these hard times. Lord, may we not look for a, a, a fix in our circumstances always, but we would always look to you as the one who can strengthen us. Help us to pursue that with all that we are, with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, because that's how you've pursued us. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.